Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our so-called first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. <laughs> Hi, Josh Lindsay. I guess now, I, now I'm a so-called filmmaker uh, because I'm a little beyond that. Is that what you're implying? You're a regular filmmaker now. Okay. No, no more rookie <laughs> first time, you know? So... You graduated. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. So now. Wait, we also have our projects. button pushing guy. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I forget about me too. It's fine. No, no, I forget about you. I just, uh, everyone, Jason Rugg. Hello there. Hello. Woo-hoo. Um, he, he looks the best out of the three of us because he has a $10,000 camera <laughs> streaming his face. And and I'm just you know shockingly handsome, so that's fine. true too. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm shocked when they see how handsome he is. And if you guys are this only guy listening only eats- to this, you might want to check us out on YouTube because uh, that's where we put our video podcasts every week. Oh, uh, right. I forget we're on YouTube. Um, so yes, we are. I better be careful. Um, <laughs> so Christian. What I was trying to say earlier is you're actually working on two projects. You're still doing things with the Girl Who War Freedom and you're in the research. I, I guess it's just, do you call it the research phase for research and development and development? That's there we go. Okay. R and D. So yeah, we're in the research and development section. All right. Well, let, let's start with Girl Who War Freedom. Are there any updates, anything uh, you so, mentioned? Go ahead. Yeah. The updates are, I was at the Massanut Military Academy this past weekend uh, the Massanet Military Academy is a, a small military academy in Woodstock, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. It's an absolutely beautiful place. It's over 100 years old in the 1880s is when it was really formed. And um, board members there, Bob and Janie Miller, have been very involved in our project. They're our longest giving executive producers. And Bob is on the board of the Massanutten Military Academy. And so Bob and Janie have supported us financially from the beginning. And they helped Massanutten Military Academy uh, support us as well. So we went back to show the film there. It was a very interesting screening. The first screening of the day was with the cadets. Uh, I absolutely loved it. It took me back to my um, teaching of 10 years with that age group. And uh, they were so inquisitive and uh, interested and I was very surprised because, as you know, it's a 90 minute movie and half of it is in subtitles. Uh, but they were just incredibly curious. And uh, there was a 12 year old that I nicknamed Mr. History by the time that it was over because he would answer every question, raise his hand. He knew the right answers. It was awesome. Uh, everybody else was sitting in the back, you know, rolling their eyes. But I, I loved it. Um, <laughs> So, so that was great. And then the evening, it was for the alumni and for community people. And it wasn't a big audience. It was about maybe 30 people or so. Uh, the most interesting thing that's happened at any screenings, though, happened there. And I basically went to the Q&A. I asked if anybody had any questions. A couple of people talked about uh, their own experience with their fathers in World War II. And then a man in the very back of the room piped up and said, you need to tell the truth. And this isn't the truth. 
in a very aggressive tone. And I was like, Oh my, like I had no idea where this was going to go. And I had no idea like what was about to happen. And so as he continued to talk, he continued to be more and more angry and aggressive. And, you know, as he unpacked what he was feeling, um, we learned that he was Jewish, that his mother was alive during World War II. Uh, She wasn't Uh, She was originally in Europe, but before the war began, she was evacuated to England. So she wasn't in a concentration camp, but, uh, you know, guaranteed she had friends and family that, you know, probably were killed. And I think it was very um, a a sore subject for this um, gentleman. And, you know, he wanted to make us aware that, you know, the Germans did horrible things. They killed babies and, you know, old people and, you know, just they were horrible, terrific, terrible people. And, you know, the French just rolled over, they invited them in and he was just unpacking his version of the events and, and insisting that that was true. And this film was a complete lie. And so, as you can imagine, I'm standing up at the front of the room watching everybody, you know, in front of me, they're all ahead of him. So I'm seeing their eyeballs as big as saucers waiting to see how I was going to respond to this guy. And quite frankly, I was a little scared. My hands got sweaty and I just started praying, Lord, what do I say to this guy? And my response was to really listen at first. I took a long time before I said anything. Um, And my initial response was to affirm what he had said about the importance of the Holocaust and how that was a huge, um, you know, huge part of the World War II story and how critical it was. But then I also said, you know, it's a part of the story. It's a big part, but there is another part of the story as well. And this is a part. It's a true part that happened and it happened in this area you know, and, and in the beginning of our film, if you haven't seen it yet, we have a disclaimer that basically says, um, you know, this is just a tiny part of the story. You know, I landed in the American sector when I first discovered it. The French people I talked to really only had relationships and interactions with Americans. We recognize this is a much broader war. There are many allies that were involved in the story. And, um, And I asked him, did you see the beginning? And he said, well, it doesn't matter. And I said, well, it kind of does matter because there's 25 seconds there of a disclaimer that explains this is just part of the story. Um, But we quickly discovered that he was really only interested in arguing his point of view. And there were then, um, you know, other questions that kind of came along and kept us on track. Um, eventually he did end up leaving. And what I, he got mad about, I think was in the story we talk about where Normandy has opened up, um, you know, the region now and the celebrations to include the Germans. And there was a German, uh, veteran and an American veteran hugging each other and demonstrating friendship. And I think that probably just lit his fuse, um, because, you know, if you if his mother had lived through what she did and their, you know, family members, it's probably de- very difficult to forgive the pains that I think were there. Um, and that's I'm just guessing. I told him I would be willing to talk to him after the screening, and uh, but of course he didn't really want to have anything to do with me after that. So, um, 
So that was interesting. That's the first time I've had any really negative pushback ever since the very beginning when I did the story. So it will, it will definitely be a memorable screening. And when did this happen again? This just happened on Saturday or Friday, Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I've still been playing it in my mind. You know, there were people that did come up and say that I handled him very well. And, and honestly, I, I had no idea. I was worried how I handled him because I was so nervous inside and I was only just praying my way through it. It was impossible for me to understand what it looked like to an audience. Um, I'm just very thankful that um, it went how it went for sure. But it, it was scary. Well, he, he, yeah, he obviously has a lot of pain inside and and I wasn't there, but it didn't sound like he may have handled it in the best way. But um, yeah, World War II was a nightmare. And uh, yeah. um, like you said, you know, your story is just part of a bigger story where there's way... <clears throat> so many tragedies and, and uh, I can't think of the right words, but just horrific things that have happened and you can't cover all that. And, you know, you're just scratching at a wound, right. you know, picking at a scar and. Uh, um, and maybe retrospectively, I mean, it was really great to hear his perspective, honestly. You know, I have some very dear friends who are Jewish and I know that um, it's still a huge pain in their lives because, you know, the Holocaust wasn't just that 6 million Jews were killed 78 years ago. I mean, the Jewish people have been persecuted, persecuted um, for their entire existence and they're still being persecuted today. And so this is not something that doesn't, you know, that just happened back then. And I do think that it is too easy for us to forget um, the Jewish experience. And I don't want people to think that, you know, I forgot that. So, you know, I wish now I had put in the disclaimer in the beginning, a a nod to uh, the 6 million Jews that were killed. And, you know, I wish I had done that. Um, Maybe that would have softened uh, the situation a little bit for him. I don't know. Uh, But I am very well aware that the devastation that happened in World War II to the Jewish community and many others was horrific. And that never needs to be glossed over. Um, but it isn't the only part of the story. You know, the French people did lose 20,000 lives and their story isn't often told. And that was why I felt so passionate about telling that story. And you can't tell everybody's story in a one, you know, 90 minute documentary as it is, we had to cut out so many. Um, so it was interesting to me. Um, I was glad to be aware of kind of what he was feeling. And I've been waiting for pushback all along, whether it's in writing or whether it's at a Q and a. So, um, I really felt like I was actually thankful for that interaction. There were people that, um, from the alumni body that came up and apologized to me for how he communicated that meant a lot to me. Cause I do think we could have had that conversation in a way that was maybe more productive and not as, um, negative. So, um, so yeah, so that was, that was challenging. <laughs> I guess, I guess one thing it brings up is, you know, when you put yourself out there, you know, you may not have, you know, an angry audience member, but you certainly have critics and people who disagree with your point of view and you have to be ready for that. I mean, and, you know, fortunately for you, you've made 
you had a great story and you made a great film. And so there's, you don't really get hit with a lot of criticism <clears throat> because of it, but any, any artist who puts anything out there, uh, anything, <laughs> whether it's a selfie you put on Facebook or someone is going to disagree with you. And, uh, but especially when you put a lot of time, effort, and energy into something you're passionate about, and then someone tells you it stinks, you're wrong, whatever, that's just, I think comes with the territory. So <clears throat> it seems like you've avoided a lot of that just in the, the way things have played out. And again, you, you had a good story, you made a great film. So there's not a lot to criticize, but naturally you're dealing with humans. So someone's going to find something wrong with it eventually. <laughs> and so well, and, that's just know, part of being an artist. Yeah. And my story isn't for everyone. And there are plenty of people that are going to disagree with my point of view. And I think as an artist, the important takeaway in this is you do need to know who you are, what story you are telling, and have a good um, explanation for why you make the choices that you make. But I also think it's important to listen to the pushback, you know, like I said, in, in listening to what he had to say and really more the heart of what he was getting at, um, that was important for me to hear. And it did cause me to think, um, you know, since I'm doing another world war II project, um, I, I have choices to make there. You know, my next project isn't necessarily about the Jewish experience either, although it's a lot closer because in the Netherlands, um, that is where a huge amount of Jewish people lived and were tortured and killed. And the people that hid them and took care of them were as well. And it is a much darker, more painful story than the one that I just finished telling. Um, and so, you know, it'll cause me to be thoughtful, I think, about, about this next project and how, um, you know, the Jewish people need to be represented in that. So, um, yeah. So that's what one happened final, with, yeah. One final comment on that. Um, you know, you're, you're someone who's taking it and this experience and saying, oh, it's going to cause me to think and grow and not referring to this particular instance. But sometimes when people have criticism or comments, they're not right. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, True. sometimes we can err on the side of like, well, I got to make a note of that. I got to make a note of that. Well, I guess they're right about that. You know, and, and, and I think that's the, it's those, those waters you got to navigate of, you got to be careful that, you know, Hey, I think it's, it's good to have a healthy, sobering perspective that you're going to have naturally have critics and you can learn from it, but that doesn't mean they're always right. Exactly. So you just, you, you just kind of have to go, you know, I think it's good to have people, mentors who you can bounce things off of and coaches and things like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to go with your perspective and, and maybe you're wrong, but you know, but the bottom line is you can't let all that affect you where you're going bonkers. Well, it can't tank. Everything. Yeah. It can't tank you emotionally. I think that is something that a filmmaker needs to learn. You know, when you do get that pushback or that negative criticism, you do have to know who you are um, and the point of view that you have, and you need to be secure in that and be able to explain that, but you also need to not let it tear you down or redefine who you are and your identity. So um, because people come to your work with their own stuff, right? And so uh, they can be right, right, or they can be emotional, or they can be argumentative. Um, you just need to not let it, you need to not think of it as, well, you know, gosh, something's wrong with me. 
or maybe I did something wrong. You can be thoughtful, but not at the same time think, okay, I need to buy into this person's reality of me or my work. So, so uh, what's, what's happening? Oh, sorry, before we shift gears, are there anything else happening with the girl war freedom? Yeah. Well, the only thing I'd tell you about that is that uh, one thing that's been interesting from the Delta experience, I'm still getting lots of emails of people and text messages and tweets of people seeing the film on the planes, which is nice. But the other thing that's happened is now I'm getting emails asking for how do we see this film? How much does it cost? And I did have to research this week because um, so a lot of it, it's my super, my principal saw this on the plane or my board of directors saw this on the plane. We'd like to show this to our organization or school. Uh, can we just get it on iTunes and and show it? And that was an interesting question. And I had to go and research that myself. And the truth of the matter is uh, in the educational realm, you could buy the film on iTunes and you could show it to your class as part of this educational discussion. And in that, you don't have to get any sort of licensing or permission to do that. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of other um there are a lot of other uh, considerations that need to be taken into account if you're going to do anything else with it. Um, so if you're going to show it at a club just for an evening to a group of people, if you're going to open it to the community, even if it's free, it does begin to change the nature of the use uh, of this piece of work. Uh, so I have a link that I used for this resource. I'll pass it along to Jason and he can put it in the show notes because I thought it was a great summation. It asked you if you you know want to find out if you need permission uh, or can show this, here's some questions to ask yourself. If you want to use it this way, no, you don't need permission. But if you want to use it this way, then you do need to get permission from the person that holds the copyright. And in sometimes that's the distributor or sometimes that's the production company. And this is instance, I hold the copyright uh, personally. So I would need to give the permission for that if they were going to do it on a bigger scale. Um, so, so that was, that was interesting. And um, so that means that we will have some more screenings going forward, um, which is exciting for the girl who wore freedom. Things are still kind of moving there and I'm still discovering how this film can be or will be used and what my relationship to this film will be going forward. Unfortunately, we still are in the red. Uh, I haven't received any earnings reports or anything from the distributor. I really have no idea where we are financially. So, um, so yeah, that's about all the update on the girl who wore freedom at the moment. Is there, I mean, I don't know, was there, it seems like maybe, a, and I don't know if this is part of it, um, but when finding a distributor, getting a contract and an agreement, you know, you have assumptions about how people communicate. They have assumptions about how people communicate. I mean, going forward, not having been in your shoes, but just being an observer, it seems like you'd want to have the discussions like, Hey, how often are we going to be talking here? Like, are you going to only call me when something happens? Are you going to give me weekly updates? You know, that, that sort of thing. Well, in the contract, it does stipulate when you're supposed to have, um, when they are supposed to send you earnings reports, you know, and that's like once a quarter, you're supposed to have some sort of idea of how the film is playing. Now, I wish ret retrospectively, I could have had in the agreement some sort of 
update or communication clause. Now, in the very beginning, when we launched it, the distributor was giving us kind of updates in the first week or two. Uh, but then it's been very difficult to um, to have any sort of consistent or responsive communication. And that's, that's a frustrating thing. And I think um, now that's not the situation with you know, Virgil Films, they respond to my text messages, they respond to my emails. Um, I think it's just a different company structure and company um, way of doing business. And it, what's so hard as a filmmaker is you really have no way to know what kind of person you're dealing with um, until you're dealing with them. Because I look back and I tried to vet and, you know, and it just, it didn't go as planned. So... All right. Well, what's happening with the Brave Dutch? Well, before we get to the Brave Dutch, um, <laughs> Josh, I want to remind you. you. Know, I, I just want to say, hold on. I just yeah. want to say, Christian, before we start recording, said there's really nothing to talk about. So, you know, there's no updates. All we've done <laughs> are given <laughs> updates on one year project. We can't get the second one yet, you know, so go ahead. That's, go that's ahead, true. I just wanted to ask you before we go on, Josh, in the beginning of the uh, the, before we even began to start rolling, you had some questions for me and we talked about those. Do we want to address those now? Cause we talked about talking about that publicly. I'd like to save that for another podcast. Cause we haven't even got to the brave Dutch yet. And All right. I mean, if we have time, great, but I like, <laughs> we need to wrap up the girl of freedom. We got to get to the brave Dutch. We got to talk about Jason's project. Christian, there's so I don't have all day. We got to, we got to. <laughs> all right, let's move <laughs> along. Okay. So here's where we are with the brave Dutch. Um, one of the things that you did throw out there is you asked me, you know, where, where's this podcast going? And, you know, we got a lot of world war II history over the last four weeks. Or is this becoming a world war II podcast? And the answer for that is resoundingly maybe, <laughs> but no, it's, it's resoundingly. No, <laughs> no, resoundingly no slash maybe slash. I don't know. Slash get back to me in a couple weeks. Slash. Yes. The, the, the issue is it's very difficult when you're telling a story about making a movie and is about world war II history, not to get them commingled. Um, but what I would like to explain for those filmmakers that are listening, um, the process that I've been going through over the last four to six weeks, maybe even a little bit more, is the process of research and development. And so even though we may be throwing in there the, the history part of it, what I'm hoping that you're learning is that you do have to dive in whole hog to your stories. And you have to see what comes to you during that time, particularly in documentary work. I, you know, in the beginning, I have this one manuscript that John Lau wrote, and I sort of have some ideas about how to tell the story. But what we actually discover with boots on the ground research is what's going to determine what, what we do. So for example, if I'd gone over to the Netherlands and I hadn't really found any compelling historians, or I hadn't found any uh, children of resistance workers or any resistance workers themselves, that's going to inform how I tell that story. And I would have to retool everything. Well, thankfully, I went to the Netherlands. I spent four weeks. I found engaging you know, history experts and, and I found uh, places where we could film. I found um, you know, relationships with the Dutch army so that I can have access to their archives. I went to museums who are willing to open up their archives as well. And so in that trip, I developed those relationships that will help propel the project forward. Now, where we are in this 
you know, now coming back home, what do we do next is I now have to take all of that information. I have to follow up with all the contacts. I have to figure out what the next steps are. I have to figure out what we found out. How does that change our story or what we want to tell or which characters we want to focus on? Um, And so that is all process, all the part of the process of, you know, developing a documentary project. So that's where I am. So you're, you're in the process of your mind says, I'm making this project. I'm doing research and development, but you're going to do this differently than the girl who wore freedom. You've got, remind us someone who's talking to, I'm sorry, Virgil, who are you talking to? So Virgil films, we had Joe Amade on the, on the podcast. So Joe Amade is head of Virgil films. Virgil films has been working with us on a pitch deck um, that we will then share with the streaming services, as well as the cable channels when it's time to pitch them. And so that we've been working on developing that document and Joe will pitch that to the streaming services and the cable channels, you know, hope that they are interested Go ahead. That's a do- that's a document, not not a not footage. Correct. It's a document, and okay. so, yeah. Wait, wait, what's the timeline for all this? So uh, I just talked with Virgil Films this week. They have a meeting with Netflix on November 10th. So we're going to start the pitching process. You know, during that time, one thing that I did learn, we thought we were done with the pitch deck. One thing that I did learn over the last. A week and a half is that Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg have a movie coming out about the mighty eighth air force. Now it's been in development for quite a while, but it is um, getting closer. I think, uh, you know, to becoming reality. And that's a wonderful thing for our story because John Lau was a part of the mighty eighth air force. So now we need to retool our document a little bit and add some of the mighty eight air force branding on there, because we know that that's probably going to be a relevant um, selling point uh, that we want to have included. Additionally, now, um, one thing that I learned this week from Virgil Films is I wondered, well, now that I found these compelling historians, now that I found these unbelievable locations, do we include that in our pitch deck? Well, our pitch deck is already 15 pages. So their response to me was, let me tell you how this goes, Christian. We've made this document. We feel really good about this document. We're going to take it, pitch it to Netflix, but that's not going to be the end of the story. We're going to have to have follow-up conversations because they have thousands of people. He's like, if they're pitched, they're in pitch meetings every day. Let's say they're having 25 to 30 projects pitched to them on a daily basis. You know, they got a lot of incoming material. How are we going to distinguish ourselves and get them interested? So, you know, their thinking to me was, you know, we'll do that slowly. We give them the pitch, we get them interested. A week later, we go back and say, hey, we've got this relationship now with this museum or with this expert. This is going to raise the level of our storytelling. And it's just touch points that you give them along the way to try to get them to greenlight your project. And are you just in the background waiting to hear back from Virgil Films? Or are you ever part of the discussion? Oh, no. That's what I'm saying. Virgil Films has been unbelievable. We are part of this discussion. We're making this pitch deck together. And no, no, no. I meant with like with a Netflix or another streaming service. No, Joe Amadei, Joe Amadei has the relationships with the people in Hollywood. So he goes there himself, meets with the people he has relationships with and pitches the projects that he has. So 
it would not get to me until let's say they're ready to green lit light it and they want to interview me, I would assume before they give us the money or whatever. So you got to trust Joe. I do have to trust Joe. And, <laughs> you know, I only met Joe in May, but what I know about Joe um, is that so far he's been as good as his word, if not better. Yeah. Um, and I've loved working with him and uh, I look forward to continuing that relationship. Uh, so I'm super thankful that we found each other. Um, but that, that's another side of the business. I think is tough and interesting, but also good is the people side where like, you got to have relationships, you know, it's like, you know, it's who do you know? And, <clears throat> but naturally people disappoint, people don't do what they say they're going to do. Sometimes they have their own challenges and they just can't do what they say they're going to do. And, and, uh, but some people deliver and those are the people you're looking for. Right. And so you gotta, I guess that's the bumpy road. I mean, that's why you see so many filmmakers work with the same people and projects, you know, like this, Hey, we worked great. Let's do it again. Right. You know, and, and, uh, but you got to find those people and along the way, it's maybe challenging, right. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, people prove themselves over time and through tension. And so, you know, we've gone through a lot of tension with the girl who wore freedom and, and relationships that cause the project to be propelled forward. Those are the people that you really cling to. And you realize we have a good working relationship. We're all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. Let's keep this going. Um, that's kind of where we are with Bill and Jeff and Jason and, you know, Michelle Coupe and, you know, the list is long of, of the team that we've kind of got in place. And from the distribution part, the thing that's frustrating is a distributor when you're new and green, like I was, um, you can meet with a distributor and they can say, oh yeah, we have all these relationships and you can vet them and check them out with someone else. And, you know, filmmakers that are very happy may give you a glowing uh, recommendation and, uh, you have, you're none the wiser. And so the only way that you then can tell is if that doesn't end up being the case for you. And so that's years in the business. So that's why I do think that people get burned a lot from distributors. The, the distributor nightmare happens to almost every filmmaker I know until I think they find the right one that they gel with and want to work with and can go forward with. Yeah. So research development, getting ready to do a pitch deck. Are you I mean, you're home? So yeah, I, I am home. This is a very tough season. You know, one of the things I told you earlier is that our company is floundering a little bit at this moment because I was gone doing this research and development thing for a month. Um, I'm not providing any focus or direction for our company. I've had two people, important people on this project step back. Um, I, I think you know, it's no accident. It happened while I was away, uh, just because people can step back and reflect and be like, do I still want to be involved in this project? So, um, and my house is under complete renovation and probably won't be done till December. So at the moment I'm in a coffee shop, I don't know where I'm going to be the next day. And so, um, I'm trying to do that while not losing the momentum that I've got going on the brave Dutch. 
So we found out so much information. We got back, Michelle Coupe wrote up our schedule. I now have to get a whole bunch of new information to the distributor. We found, you know, a couple of new female characters that are really strong that we want to develop their storylines. And I've got to now, the next thing I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out, okay, what part of this story do I want to reenact? Which people do I want to interview? And in which ways do I want to make that happen? So now I'm into the building blocks of the story. And one thing I talked to Bill Ebel about, our editor, he made a suggestion of doing a writing retreat because everything is in my mind. All the experience that I had over the last month um, is in my mind, you know, but also with Two Live um, Van Manen, Joey Van Mason, uh, Michelle Coupe, we were all there together. We did hear all of that, but now we have to download that to our writer's mind, which at this moment is Zach Callahan. He's done an incredible job. Uh, Bill Ebel, our editor, Jeff Kurtnacker, our composer, we all need to get on the same page about what this information is and what this story is, our cinematographer, our line producers. So, I do think that's in the near future, this writer's retreat where we come and I can tell these stories and my vision for what I see this series can be. And we start figuring out how to tell that story. And before you ask it, Josh, before you ask this question, several have asked me what's going to happen if you don't get the funding from a streaming service or a cable channel, you're just going to give up. What do you think the answer to that would, would be? No, Christian's not <laughs> going to give up. No. She's going no, to I'm keep not. going. <laughs> yeah, I will. And, you know, right now, the thing that I'm looking at is the Dutch people are so passionate about having their story told that they have several different funds and financing vehicles that they use in order to help finance these stories. So my backup plan is to try to figure out how to, um, you know, access those kinds of funds. There's this one called V funds, um, which you do have to be a Dutch production company, I think, to apply for those V funds. So that means then I probably need to partner with someone in Holland to set up a Dutch uh, version of the, you know, company of the Brave Dutch there. I don't know. I've got to look into that. Uh, But this story does need to be told. And people in the Netherlands are very passionate about having it told. And I think um, it, it's a work that will be supported in some vein. So, so yeah, my mind is already thinking along those lines. I don't know if you guys saw, have heard of this movie on Netflix called the forgotten battle. Like it's number five on Netflix right now. Have you heard about it, Jason? Yeah, I actually, I just was reading about that because it was, uh, recommended after band of brothers. <laughs> it was, <laughs> Yeah. So the forgotten battle is a battle of, um, you know, in the Northern part of Holland, when the allies were trying to take the, um, port of Antwerp. And so, um, it is, it, it involves the Canadians, it involves the Dutch resistance and it involves the Germans. And it shows how complicated the stew was, um, of circumstances and events in the Netherlands during that time. And, it was great to watch. I talked to some of my Dutch friends to live on men and said, well, it's not very historically accurate. 
which is good to know, I think, going in. But what I took away from that film was the same thing I took away from being in the Netherlands, which is the story is very complicated. And so you may think that the lines are very drawn in the Netherlands story, um, you know, the good and evil, uh, but it isn't. And in this particular story, you're seeing things from a point of view of a resistance fighter, a um, British officer and a German, um, you know, soldier. And so you're seeing each one of their perspectives and you see over time, they have to make critical decisions about what they're going to do and whose side they're really on and how they perceive the events that are happening. And so you realize that there's not a hundred percent evil in every person. Um, that even though they may be on the German side, their heart may not be totally in it, but they're, you know, in between a rock and a hard place. Um, so it's interesting that that is now a big show on Netflix because it shows there's an audience for this type of storytelling, which is exactly what we're talking about. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg also see that this is a worthy story to be told. So I feel like culturally in the, in the public square, this is a very timely story that clearly people are interested in. That could be very good for us. We'll see. Christian, I have lots more questions, but we're running out of time. Is there anything you want to remind people about where they can go to to learn more or participate or watch The Girl Who Wore Freedom? Well, as always, you can go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com to read more blogs, go to our shop, uh, you know, figure out how to purchase the film or watch the film on iTunes. We have a little link there. Uh, we have started now a website for the Brave Dutch, thebravedutch.com. There's basically hardly anything on there, but I am going to start having to populate that with these wonderful photos and uh, things that I just received and maybe even our pitch deck if I'm allowed to do that. Uh, so there's that. And I would encourage people, um, to come with us with, come to us with your questions or what you think or want to see more of the podcast. One thing I would love an update on if that's, if you'll allow us, Josh is, uh, where Jason is with his work and a little bit of what's going on with the movie proposal. Cause we haven't heard about any of those in a while. I will allow it. And, and it, I'll be quick. Cause I'm very hungry. Uh, <laughs> Good. Me too. <laughs> it's lunchtime as we record this. Um, so yeah, one, one quick update about uh, the little animation Instagram that we've been doing, uh, Jax and Sean. Um, six days ago, we hit 3,000 followers. And as of today, we're at 3,000, almost 800. So we've seen like 800 people in the last week uh, follow us. And that that that's pretty cool. It feels pretty cool. We've had people reaching out like, Hey, how are you doing this so fast? How are you, how are you writing things so fast? How do you have all these funny ideas? And it's like, we've been working on this since 2017. <laughs> we've right. been working on this for four years. <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot. And it's like, it's one of those things where we waited a really long time to launch this thing. And now when we actually launched it, we've got a bunch of people going, how did you do that? Cause there's a lot of other animation Instagrams and they post something like once a month or once a week at the, at the most. And the ones that post really regularly are the ones that do well. And we've seen explosive growth because we took the time to do it well on the pre-production end and then actually be ready to launch. So that was just kind of a cool thing of like, we're actually starting to see the fruit of that. Cause there was a, there was a, 
a time where it was really frustrating. <laughs> we were shadow banned and nobody was able to see our stuff uh, who wasn't following us. And, and we had a lot of issues with trying to get it out to people because we were posting so quickly and we were a new account that Instagram thought we were a spam account. So it actually worked against us at the beginning because we were posting too much. <laughs> we had too much stuff to post. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a quick little update. Um, on it. We're excited to see where it goes. We're excited to get to 10,000 because 10,000 unlocks a lot of new Instagram features and you can um, get people to outside links and websites and things like that. So that actually um, ups the ability to advertise um, and possibly start like a Patreon or something like that to help support it. So yeah, it's it's been a fun little journey. That's super exciting. Congratulations. Thank Are you, you actively creating new content as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like last night I stayed up, uh, till like midnight. I made like three new shorts. Um, we post at least one a day. Um, sometimes we post two, um, depending on, on what, uh, what the day holds and we post them in different ways. So there's feed posts and there's reels and there's all sorts of different things you can do on Instagram. And so like a reel is kind of like just a TikTok or a vine. It's more like that. Um, feed posts can be much longer, but they have to be more like a square, um, or a traditional horizontal video. You can't go full vertical video. So we have to format it differently. We have to um, do the cinematography differently, which is a little bit funny to talk about with 2D animation, but I have to adjust you know, my composition because, okay, am I going to see most of the up and down of this person or am I going to mostly see the left and right of this person? Because that also changes how I animate because, okay, do I actually need to animate their arms or do I not need to animate their arms? How, how Do I want this to be a major close-up or do I want it to be further back? So there's a lot of interesting pieces of it because you have to change how you're approaching it depending on which, um, which video style it's going to end up being. Um, so yeah, um, Sean uh, was <laughs> flying um, a couple days ago and he wrote like five or six sketches on the plane, landed, texted them to me. And so then I recorded them, uh, animated them and sent them to him yesterday. So he flew back Sunday, texted to me Sunday night or Monday morning. I don't really remember. Um, and then Monday evening, I had at least two of them animated. I think I actually had three of them animated. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's, it's squeezing it between, you know, the stuff that actually pays us right now. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a fun project. That's awesome. Real quick question. If you were going to have someone look at your little videos, give us one or two that are your favorite, where would you send them? Okay. Um, so <laughs> we have one, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It's, um, mysterious creatures. And it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, like you'd come across it at like, you know, 11 o'clock on PBS, you know, like it's a local cable thing. And <laughs> it has a weird turn at the end where it's like, oh, is this a hostage situation? <laughs> um, that's one of my favorites. And then we also have done um, some product um, parodies. So we, we have one called uh, Heretic Spray, which is just my favorite. And it's about Dude. burning heretics. <laughs> Um, we, we, we just have, uh, that's part of it is like, why I love this is you don't have to try and do like broad comedy. You don't have to try and be like, okay, we're going to broadcast this and you know, we have to get, you know, 3 million people to watch it or, you know, whatever it's like, we could just make something super weird. That isn't even a joke. Really? It's just kind of a funny situation or a funny line or just something weird and just put it out. And 
some of the sketches where I've been like, okay, this this one's a little dark and a little weird. I get like amazing response. People are like, oh man, this is so funny. Like I have one, uh, we, <laughs> I took an old TikTok I made um, where I was doing the voice and I was just, you know, talking about, you know, if you're going to die, make sure you do it outside Johnson's mortuary service. <laughs> and it just goes on to explain why you should die outside Johnson's mortuary service. And that one has just got like an amazing response. And it's just like the dumbest. It's a guy standing in front of a brick wall. Like the animation is nothing special. There's nothing really there that makes you go, ah. But the writing and the performance, I guess people find funny. And it's just, well, you know. And you know that dark humor and horror are the best sellers. So I don't true. know what's that's up true. with that, but that's the truth. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't d- dived too deep into like uh, anything beyond comedy. We've kind of, you know, we've, we've had the occasional sketch that's like, oh, this is just like a sad moment. Okay. <laughs> it's a, you know, but for the most part, people go to watch this stuff for funny. And so we kind of try to aim for funny when, yeah. when we're doing it. So, cool. yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. Well, I'm happy for you. Oh, can you hear me? I thought I did something wrong. Uh, Christian just muted yourself. What? <laughs> You muted yourself halfway through saying Josh. Yeah, <laughs> I was just, just going to be like, okay, Josh, uh, what's um, up with you? Well, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, we have a guest coming up uh, October 28th of 2021 on the movie proposal, which Jason is a part of. Uh, Chris White, who you know, has been a guest on this podcast, Yay! directed Electric Jesus. Uh, Electric Jesus is actually being released November 2nd. You can see it wherever you stream like prime or voodoo or what have you. Uh, but he, we had a great talk with him. It was a lot of fun. He definitely wants to come back. So starting October 28th will be available to hear that interview. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Awesome. We, yeah. we had a ton of technical difficulties and I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to fix it all yet. So you might hear <laughs> it be a weird episode. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll see how magical you really are, Jason. <laughs> Okay, well, hey everyone. Uh, we covered a lot. If you're watching this, you can see my dog. In Hi, the Wrigley. Screen. He is being very annoying right now. Um, <laughs> he wants to go outside. So I better end this and take him outside and say thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.